morning, it, uh, Tom, I also liked, I don't know if this was intentional or not, but you said, I'm super pumped. Were you, were, okay, I got that. I got that. that was good. Um, well, thanks for coming this morning. It's good to see you all. Um, looking forward to diving into the Word with you. Um, for those who didn't look at the title of the sermon today, what did Jesus talk about most during his time on earth? Come on. Shout it out. Did you look at the title? That's the title. You looked at the title. It's cheating. Okay, you're right. It's the kingdom of God. Um, Jesus talked the most about the kingdom of God during his time on earth, um, which is surprising to me, honestly. Um, so we're going to dive into that today. Um, so we're going to start out in Matthew 4. I'm going to read some verses in Matthew 4 and Matthew 5. Uh, we're going to jump around a lot today in the Word because this theme runs through the Bible. Um, I even love Joe. I don't know if it was intentional because I didn't send you the sermon text, um, but even the verse that we read together congregationally, I was going to cover it in the sermon, so that was beautiful. Um, so Matthew 4, verse 12 through 17, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Um, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In Matthew 5, 1 through 12, a little, little further on, it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up to the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for bringing the kingdom. We thank you for being the king. Um, God, I pray that the words that, that I say might not land, but the words that you want to land might land that you might speak, Lord, get me out of the way um, so that we hear from you. Thank you for your word. We love you. So this week, uh, diving into this subject, I'm going to be honest with you guys and say there's a lot of content out there on this. And I borrowed liberally from it. So if you want to hear people preach on this probably more effectively than me, um, and in more in-depth, 
Uh, check out the She Reads Truth Kingdom of God series. Uh, Matt Chandler has a series on this. Tim Keller, The Bible Project. Uh, even listening to the songs by Porter's Gate. Um, I borrowed from all of them for this sermon. So if you go and you listen to those and you're like, wait, he said that exactly. Yes, I did. I'm borrowing from it. Um, so asking the question, what is the kingdom of heaven? Uh, I've been listening to a lot of podcast episodes from the Bible Project recently. Um, and one of their first episodes, it was a three-episode arc, was on the kingdom of God. And, and it jolted me in a way that a lot of their, their podcast episodes actually have. Um, so zooming out and seeing this, this theme throughout scripture made me think, I, I really need to dig into this. Um, well, apparently we did a sermon series that started in December of 2019 and just ended in May of 2022. That was titled, His Kingdom Come. So Tony, when you're watching this, I'm sorry that I somehow have forgotten that we did that for two years. Um, but it made me think of how helpful it is to zoom in on the Word of God like we do most, most Sundays, um, but also to zoom out. Uh, the Bible is a unified story. That it, It's like a symphony. You'll hear these movements throughout the Bible that, that come in and out um, and that show up repeatedly, and they, they ultimately point to Jesus. Um, and so today we're going to zoom out and look at passages related to the kingdom of heaven. Um, and I want to start with a confession here, because um, this week was really full with work and life, um, and I've been struggling to get solid time in the Word. And, and sometimes I think, I know I think, when I see Tony up here or others preaching, I'm like, oh, they've got it all together. You know, they're, they're preaching in the Word, they've got it all together. Um, I listen to a lot of sermons on this, on this topic, but it's been hard for me in the last couple weeks to really dig into the Word of God. Um, so if you're struggling at reading the Bible right now and digging in, um, it can be hard, and I get that. Um, and I still feel like I'm in this season of digging through hard soil. It's, it's not, like, easy for me to dive into God's Word every day. Um, but it also feels like a treasure hunt sometimes. Um, and it's worth the time and effort. So I want to encourage you guys to go find the treasure. Um, so the first question to ask about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is, when did the Bible start talking about this? Is this a one-time thing that, that Jesus mentioned in Matthew 4, or is this a consistent theme? Um, the word in Greek for kingdom, um, and I'm going to totally butcher this, so, but it's basilia, something like that. Um, but that was the word used in the Matthew 4 passage, and it refers to a kingdom, and it refers to both the reign, um, the royal power and the kingship, and a territory subject to the rule of a king. So you can't have somebody reigning over nothing. So it's saying there, there's a rule and reign of God here in your midst when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, repent. Um, the word kingdom refers primarily to an action that includes a place. So if you're reigning, it has to be over something. It's an activity. Um, so the kingdom of God seems to imply that God's space is space where God's reign is taking place. So the kingdom is here um, isn't just purely some hypothetical thing. It's real. Um, so put this in, in, our, in our American context. We, we don't have kings here. We've been against that since the start. Um, but think of your idea of a territory that is American. If you're in America, you're governed and ruled by American laws. Um, you're under the authority of elected leaders or those appointed to carry out those laws. 
Um, you aren't held to the laws of another country. So, so I was just in Canada last week. When I was in Canada, I was held to Canadian laws. When I'm in the States, I'm held to laws in the States. Um, so it's, it's where you're at. But if you're outside the U.S., but you happen to be at an embassy, well, then you're in American space. So you're under that same authority. Um, so the kingdom of God is God's space, under his authority, under the reign of the king, and responsible to his laws. So when did this first appear in Scripture? Was the kingdom of God something new that Jesus introduced? And if we look back throughout Scripture, I think you can make the case that this has actually been present since the beginning, like literally since the beginning. Genesis 1, 26 through 28 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. From the very start, when God created the world, he gave Adam a command to rule and subdue the earth. That's kingdom language. That's, that's, that's language to a king is to rule and subdue. God, the ultimate authority, is giving man a share in his rule over, over the earth. This is a time when God was, was actually walking in the garden. God's presence, God's space was here on earth. So from the very start, God is speaking in kingdom language. In Psalm 8, says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hand. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the wild, birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is royal language. Language that reminds us that God is the ultimate majesty, the ultimate creator has given a responsibility to humankind to rule. Humans made in the image of God are invited to share in his, in his rule and reign of the earth. Things were perfect in the garden until they weren't and man fell. And how did man fall? They took the mandate that God had given and they traded it for one where they set themselves up as the ruler and the authority. We try to set ourselves up as, as the rulers. We try to set our own kingdoms up and fail at that over and over again. And God gives us chances over and over again. Invited back into the rule and reign of God after, after the fall, Abraham is called out and told, hey, I'm going to give you all the land that you can see, and I'm going to make your kids more numerous than the stars and the sands. So Abraham trusts God, and then he promptly screws it up and takes matters into his own hands. He trusts God and he and Sarah decide it's a good idea to take advantage of Hagar and, and, and try to have a kid through her. 
his kingdom, his rule, not the one that God defined. Israel does this. Set apart at Sinai, they, before the mountain, they, they are, God has told, told them, you will be a kingdom of priests um, to go and tell, tell, the, uh, tell the world about me. And then the next thing they do, the very next day, is the golden calf. Their own kingdom, their own rule, their own God. Twelve tribes ruled by God. Wait, no, we want a king. We want a king. Their own kingdom, their own rules. So there's this tension of, of throughout, of God calling for his reign and humankind saying, yeah, that's great, God, now, now hold my phone and watch me do this thing. And, and it doesn't work out so well. So Jesus mentions the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven 50 times in Matthew, hence, hence our two-year sermon series. Um, in the Gospels in general, he mentions the kingdom of God 68 times, the kingdom of heaven 32 times for a nice even 100. So it's fair to say that when, God, when the Bible repeats something that often, we need to pay attention to it. The contrast kingdom that God's called out ones are called to live in, well, we failed at that contrast kingdom pretty consistently. Kings of Israel generally got a pretty terrible rating. Even King David, the man after God's own heart, he's not exactly a great representation of the kingdom of God. So after consistent failures over and over again and God giving chances over and over again, Jesus shows up on the scene and says repeatedly, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. In Mark 1, 14 through 15, uh, it says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He said, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So what is the good news? The Greek word for good news um, is evangelion. So evangelize, evangelion, comes from that. Gospel is the way it's usually translated. Um, and it is always used in the context of a kingdom, proclaiming a king. It would remind the Jewish audience that Jesus was talking to of Isaiah 52, where it says, how beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those that bring good news. Now that word in Hebrew is basar, and literally every time basar is used in the Old Testament, um, it's used 24 times, and it was always in the context of announcing a new king, of announcing kingship. Good news, hey, in control. So when Jesus uses the phrase good news to his Jewish audience, they're like, hey, he's talking kingdom here. This is king things. Um, the king is here, go announce the good news to all. And, and we in our, in our context, and they in their context, we have a broken idea of what reigning looks like because we've been messing it up since the beginning. So when we think kingdom, we think... <laughs> We tend to think more along the tyrant reign. Um, but we long for a right reign, a, a righteous kingdom. Jesus is telling us that the kingdom that we've been longing for, that we've been made for, it's here. Um, and this is true for us, e even in our, our American context, where we don't really get the whole king thing. Because um, how many of you have said something to the effect of, I hate politics? I've said that many times, at least. Um, we see corruption or ineptitude or the constant stream of TV ads that are just really annoying um, and name-calling and money, and, and 
really what we just want is efficient, good government that actually serves the people and doesn't look to serve itself. Um, it's no different than the ancient people that wanted a righteous king. It takes a different flavor, but the heart desire there is the same. So when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here, what does it mean? The kingdom of God is at hand means it's, it's brought near. It's joined one thing to another. God's space has come among our human space, and his reign is here. We read Psalm 96 earlier um, together, and it says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes and he will judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. It's that Isaiah 52 language of good news that the king reigns. But these proclaim that the Lord will judge the people with equity. And you might be saying, Chris, I long for the day too when the Lord judges and makes everything right. I I think of that most days when I read the news or if I watch the news at night. Um, brokenness is apparent in our world. It is the, the fact that 600,000 kids die every year because of lack of clean water. Like that's brokenness in our world. And I long for the right king to make it right. But his kingdom is, is a future kingdom, but it's also a now kingdom. How? How did the Lord judge the world with equity and righteousness? Through Jesus. Jesus was punished for us. The kingdom of heaven arrived and the Lord judged the world in righteousness with equity and his judgment was poured out on Jesus for my sins and for yours. So what, what does it look like for, as, as Jesus announces the kingdom? How does he describe the kingdom? In Luke 4, 16 through 21, it says, Jesus of Nazareth came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue of the, on the Sabbath. And when he stood up to read, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, returned it to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Can you imagine that scene? Like, there, 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 are, there are scenes in the Bible that, like, I would love to be there in, and that's one of them. I'm sure there was like a pin drop and I'm sure everyone in the synagogue was like, really? Did, did he just claim that? But the insurgency of the true king it's, it's, who has come to reign, it, it's been upside down from the beginning. The kingly mandate to Adam to rule and reign, um, that mandate was given and it seems to be one to cultivate more than it is to enslave. 
to be a gardener rather than a tyrant. The royal promise to Abraham was that he was blessed to be a blessing. The royal mandate to Israel was to be a kingdom of priests, pointing the world to the one true God. The instructions to kings in Deuteronomy, if you read that, uh, it was not to acquire military power. He said, hey, don't, don't get for yourself a bunch of horses. Don't get wives or gold. The picture of the suffering servant king in Isaiah 53 was anything but what we would expect from a ruling king. So we shouldn't be surprised by Jesus speaking to his, of his kingdom as good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, releasing oppression. We shouldn't be surprised that he confronted religious legalism of the Pharisees, that he healed the sick, that he preached to love your enemies. It's not exactly how you typically take over your enemies as a traditional king by loving them. It wasn't a good battle strategy. That Jesus, hmm, mixed up some things here. This is great. Notes, gone. (laughs) Um, Give me a second here. There we go. That he proclaimed that the only way to, to gain your life is to lose it that he called a rich young ruler to give it all away. He didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And in doing so, Jesus shone a spotlight on the heart of the law. So how was this king exalted? He was lifted high on, on a cross. He was crowned, but with thorns. He was robed, but for the purpose of mockery. He was beaten, rejected. His friends abandoned him at his greatest time of need. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross, but God, but God. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name above all names, so that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and tongue confess. He defeated the enemy as he was lifted up that way. The kingdom of God has arrived. So what's it mean to live as a citizen of the kingdom? That's a question that we have to ask. If Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is among you and he is the king, what does it mean to live as a citizen? So the kingdom of God is the rule and reign of God because everything Jesus taught is the, overflow, is the outflow of the rule of God. The disciples didn't get it because it felt upside down. Forgive sins, love your enemies, do good to those that hurt you. I have a hard enough time loving those I like, let alone loving my enemies. Matthew 4 is announcing the kingdom. He gives Matthew 5, 6, 7, the the, the Sermon on the Mount. It's like an instruction manual for life in the kingdom. What does it mean to live as a citizen? First, it means acknowledging and submitting to the king. Matt Chandler put it this way, that people want the kingdom without the king. When the church gets embarrassed, she forsakes the atoning work of Jesus and just wants to do good works. You cannot live under the reign of someone you refuse to submit to. You're just creating your own kingdom. Humanity's been doing that from the start. And see how that turns out. You can have the best of intentions. You may even live a life that looks good, but it's your own kingdom. Don't mistake it for something else. Don't think, I can just follow the rules of the king, but I can reject him. 
That's not how kingdom works. There are wonderful people in my life, in my neighborhood, that I care about deeply, and they do very nice things. They, they even do things that, that line up with some of Jesus' teachings, but they're not living a life as a citizen of the kingdom of God. I love Italian food. I love the culture, the language, but I'm not an Italian because I've never pledged my allegiance and submitted my prior allegiances to the Italian government. Likewise, we can admire the teachings of Jesus. We can even try to follow them. But until we submit to the king, we're not a citizen of his kingdom. Is your identity in Christ? Are you submitting to the king? To Flip Chandler saying, people, I think people also want the king without the kingdom. They, they want it, the, the benefits of the king. They want to identify with Jesus, but they don't want to have to actually submit. Philippians 2 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God, but he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant and being found in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus rules for his king like we read earlier. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted. He taught his, his disciples how to pray, and he said, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is already in heaven, in your God space. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. The kingdom feels upside down. If we're actually following it, there should be some tension within us. A song that challenged me in, in college, uh, the chorus said, my first allegiance is not to a flag, a country, or a man. No, my first allegiance is not to democracy or blood. It's to a king and a kingdom. Nothing about following Jesus suggests that we're out for ourselves. Nothing suggests that power is something we should be chasing after. Even, even some of our acceptable idols, our, our acceptable idol of family is blown out of the water by allegiance to Jesus. Luke 14, 26, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. It's pretty intense. Pretty radical. So what does typify the upside-down kingdom? It's radical love. It's selfless love. It's love that lays down their life for another. Pure religion that cares for the widow and the orphan, love that would rather suffer a wrong than have vengeance, that would take a punch in the face and go back in for the hug, that would seek to give up their own rights and serve another. It's what we see Jesus do. 
literally. He, he took the punch. He set aside his kingly authority, his right to rule. If anyone had rights, it was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he set it aside and he suffered for others. I had a hard time wearing a mask last year to love others, let alone being whipped, beaten, and nailed to a cross to love others. Let's make it even more dangerous. Do you have a hard time loving those who are of the stop the steal crowd? Or do you have a hard time loving those who think Roe v. Wade should not have been overturned? Do you have a tough time loving your Trump-loving neighbor or your Biden-loving neighbor? If any of these are in your enemy camp, Jesus' instruction is to love them. How do citizens relate to each other? You know, when, when, when I was uh, in Italy, I remember I went to uh, Puglia, which is kind of in the toe of the boot for, for Easter. And they don't even speak Italian in Puglia, in the small town I was in. They speak Pugliese. And I couldn't speak any Pugliese. And I just wanted to hear another American speaking English. Like, that's what I wanted. And so I, I called back to my teammates in Rome a couple times just to speak English. Like, that was all I was calling for. I was like, I don't care what you talk to me about, just speak English to me. Uh, I want to relate to you as a fellow citizen. Um, so how do you approach other citizens of the kingdom? You're, you're going to disagree. There are things that we disagree about, but how do we relate to each other? Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by your love for each other. So how do you love other Christians that you disagree with about important things? Um, I'm, I'm on social media probably more than I should be. Um, but I so often see just bombs being thrown. Christians against Christians, it, it doesn't matter. It's like, I'm going to take your name and I'm going to just throw a verbal bomb at you because it's easy to do on social media. It's not how Jesus gave instructions for how kingdom citizens are to relate to each other. He said, if you disagree with somebody, go to them in person. It doesn't mean talk to your friend about them. Go to them in person. If I see you post something on social media that I disagree with, and my reaction is to gossip to somebody else about it, that's not kingdom life. That's not kingdom citizenship. My calling is to go to you as a fellow citizen of the kingdom and in love seek to build up. Guys, I, I don't know how to do this. Like, I honestly don't know how to live as a citizen of the kingdom well. I don't know how to love my wife and kids and provide for them and be responsible and yet hold my finances loosely that I'd be willing to sell it all and give it all for the sake of the gospel. More concretely, when you have Tom get up here and, and share, I, I struggle with, like, how do I write a check if it's going to be sacrificial giving? It's easy to give of the excess, the stuff I don't need, but like, Jesus calls kingdom citizens to give sacrificially. Tom, I forgot you were sharing, so this isn't just a plug for you. But, <laughs> like, how do we do that? Or even more concretely, how, when I go out to lunch with you, wrestle with the selfishness of my own heart of like, 
man, if I can pay for your lunch and love you in that way, and yet I kind of slow play pulling out my credit card and hope you pull out yours first. How does it, how, what does it look like to live as a citizen of the kingdom? I don't have it figured out. In my finances, in my interactions with those who I know genuinely don't like me, and yet I'm called to love them. And how, how I look at work and just want to get my stuff done and how I handle my time, but I do know what I'm called to do. And I know Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Second Peter says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called, who has called us by his own glory and goodness. I know that my first allegiance needs to be to a king and a kingdom. One that has arrived and that we are called to live in now under the values and rule and reign of that king and one that we will not see fully realized until the day Jesus returns. So have you submitted your life to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? This, this isn't, I, kn I know that phrase from, from me growing up, Lord and Savior, can just be, become this like Americanized phrase, but, but it's an actual question. Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? Um, I heard a story once uh, about that this guy was giving this presentation at a, at a conference, and this kid came up to him afterwards and was talking to him about, like, I, I just don't know if I'm like, if I can say yes, Lord. And and the guy says, get out a piece of paper and write, no, Lord, on it. He's like, take that piece of paper back with you to your hotel room and, and think and pray on that. And then cross out one of those words. Because you can't say no and call him the Lord. So either cross out the no or cross out Lord. Just be honest with yourself. If you're living under the kingdom of Jesus, um, we're going to take a time to, to go into communion here um, and take the cup and the bread. It's, it's symbols of the sacrifice that was made to pay the cost of your citizenship. In ancient times, if you weren't born a Roman, you could buy your Roman citizenship, but it was really costly. None of us have earned this citizenship. It was bought with the blood of Christ on the cross. So if you haven't decided to pledge your allegiance to the kingdom, to submit your life to his reign, I, I encourage you, even if it's awkward for you, I, I encourage you to stay in your seat and pass over communion. Instead, take this time to really search your heart, to talk to God, figure out if he's the king that you want to follow. If you want to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. In Isaiah 9, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. In the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from that time forevermore. Brothers and sisters, this is the now and not kingdom, not yet kingdom you're invited into.
So we're going to take, take a time of communion. People are going to come up and uh, dismiss us, and we're going to listen to a, a song um, about kingdom life just as, as you're sitting there. So I encourage you to take the cup and the bread, um, return to your seats, and then we will uh, we'll take it together. Um, so just, just think and pray, you know, whether you want to live as a citizen of the kingdom. We'll pray for us. Jesus, thank you for inviting us into a kingdom that we don't deserve. Thank you for being the righteous king that our hearts long for. We don't have what it takes to do this, Lord. Um, For you died on the cross to pay the cost for us. And you rose again to defeat the enemy. And you promised that you would be with us always. Giving us the ability to live as citizens of your kingdom. Lord, thank you for that gift. Help us love you. Amen.